Now, after weeks of flooding that's taken lives and upended so much on the North Coast, the crisis continues in the Northern Rivers and mid-coast region of New South Wales. Lismore's flood levy was breached again this week and even um, Byron Bay, among many other towns, flooded at levels not seen in living memory. For people struggling to cope when the emergency services like police and the SES are also overwhelmed, who do they turn to? Uh, increasingly, there's some help from new community-led initiatives. That's according to our next guest, Jean Renouf. He's a former international aid worker. He's also an academic and a firefighter himself from the Northern Rivers. He has helped to found Resilient Byron, which was ready and working to help people in crisis on day one of the floods. Welcome to Saturday Extra, Jean. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Firstly, I should ask, how are you? What's the week been like for yourself and so many other residents in your area? Thank you. Well, I think all of the Northern River is feeling pretty tired at the moment. You know, I think with the second set of floods that hit us uh, this past week, there was a sense of disbelief, like not again, you know, and, and then, OK, we have to do it all over again. So it's been pretty disheartening, also affecting new communities. As I mentioned, Byron Bay did not get affected the first time, but it did get affected the second time. So there's a, a sense of really exhaustion and disbelief. And I, and I feel like pretty tired too. You have been an aid worker in lots of intense places, places facing intense mm-hmm. crises like the Congo, Haiti, Afghanistan. Um So I'm presuming you don't use the term lightly when you start talking about the crisis and the impacts on a community where you're now living. No, that's right. Uh, Look, it's been pretty staggering. Like um, I had... I have noticed different similar patterns from crises that have worked in overseas and what I have been witnessing and being part of here. And I could see the different cycle, the, the crisis response happening roughly around the same time. The, the you know, the confusion, the organization, um, the leadership, the tiredness, the shock, the, the coordination or lack thereof or difficulties. Uh, all of this I had seen many times before. Something which also I had seen at different levels is like the, uh, um, the, the 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 role of the community, like when there are no or very limited agency, governmental capacity to to respond to such a massive disaster, when you know the electricity is down, the food systems are down, the water systems are down. Uh, and the, the needs are so immense, you know, there are many, many, many people who don't have access and cannot be accessed by different services. So the community stepped in. And this is something I had witnessed in other countries, especially in countries where there's very limited to no government. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit staggering to see it happening, but not entirely surprising either. Like, this is something I had theorized, actually, as part of one of my academic publications, which is currently under press, saying that disaster agencies aren't equipped to um, to respond to these massively compounded disasters. John, I'll ask you to tell us more about Resilient Byron in a moment, but firstly, drawing again mm-hmm. on that experience, you know, we've heard over the mm-hmm. past months from residents who've called the services they would normally append on, depend on, like the SES, like mm-hmm. police or the rural fire service for help. But we know also that everyone, while everyone is doing their utmost in these situations, many people have had calls go unanswered. So in your professional opinion, how has this disaster been managed? Well, I think there's there's been um, perhaps limited planning in terms of understanding the 
uh, implications of such large-scale disaster on different systems upon which disaster agencies rely. There's been also some sort of rigidity within the structure, and that rigidity in a way is necessary in terms of identifying which is the combat agencies and uh, uh, providing clear leadership, but without necessarily understanding that there were gaps in the system that needed to be filled in the process. Uh, so, as you said, I think people on the ground, like all the different um, emergency responders, and even myself when I did uh, provide some elements of response as a firefighter, um, there was no doubt that the intention was good. Um, and people were working, you know, 24-7, literally all day, all night to help others. At the same time, the capacities were limited because in some agencies, they didn't have enough personnel actually to respond to all of the needs. And in other, they, they, they didn't have the right equipment to respond to the needs. So to me, this is, especially after the flood in 2017, especially after the flood in 2019-20, this is something which was foreseeable and should have been planned for. But I think there was, um, previous, prior to this, perhaps within, within governmental and disaster agencies, a limited ability to really understand the, the wide-scale effects of the climate crisis so dramatically changing the nature of the disasters. And therefore, like preparing for the disasters of the past rather than preparing for the disasters of the future. Local communities, especially in the regions, pride themselves on helping one another. It's part of how we mm -hmm. identify what it Absolutely. means to come from a country town, for example. But so tell us about Resilient Byron. How do you, how do you galvanise and use that instinct? Well, Risen Vine is a non-for-profit charity, which I founded three years ago before the bushfires, but in anticipation precisely of those large-scale compounding disasters. So in all honesty, I did not anticipate the, the bushfires and I did not anticipate those particular floods. But I, to me, like if you look at the climate science, and that's what I do as part of my academic research, it was obvious that you know we were going to be hit by, this, by such large-scale compounding disasters. And it was also obvious to me based on my academic research, but also based on my experience within the emergency system, that uh, there were gaps that needed to be filled. And to me, this gap is the community. As I said before, in my prior experiences, I saw community rise. They truly are the, the, the first responders. Um, they are the unsung heroes of you know, doing the work, but, but they're not to be recognized because it's kind of anonymous and fluid. Um, but to me, it was very clear that that was going to happen. So... Uh, in the years prior, we had organized a number of projects, including training people in being resilient. And we were literally just about like last week or two weeks ago now, um, about to train 150 people to become community carers and responders, whereby we would have uh, trained them over nine months in disaster preparedness, response recovery, in community management and community building, in food security, in water security, in housing security, in energy security, in first aid and psychological first aid, and create that network of 150 community cares and responders. But then the floods hit. So <laughs> just as we were about to start the training, we had to postpone it for a few weeks, so we'll return to it soon. But uh, to me, it's unavoidable that we have to have that layer of trained, connected, sophisticated community response. So, resilient by in this context, we were we were not caught by surprise. Um, 
although at first we were like kind of uh, like everyone like checking on each other how's mm-hmm. how's your house you know how's your personal situation and once we had all of us kind of ascertained where we were like okay what can we do and then can it I, became quite clear yeah, sorry, sorry can i ask on that question of what can you do what are what what type of on the ground support um ideally would people be trained for of course we've seen you know lots of footage of the mud army of people out mm. helping to clean up after the fact but but you seem to be talking about a much more systemic organized approach yes yes no absolutely and the mud army is essential but it's really just one aspect maybe the most visible but it's just one aspect of such response and, and recovery process so to give an idea what we had done and really there was a community rising and we happened to be here and we happened to take the lead because it makes it made sense uh, but we can't, certainly cannot you know say we've done that no it was really the community and we we joined forces and so the sort of projects we have been implementing since since the floods is in as you said you know organizing volunteers to be sent throughout different towns and region to do deep cleaning of the houses but also receiving and donating tens of thousands of goods of all sorts you know from clothes to toothbrush to hygiene uh, to gurneys to generators like water bottles everything throughout the northern rivers um we have also a free up shop in Malamimbi where anyone who's been affected by the flood can come and receive whatever they need. But there's what we have experienced is just not just physical need, it's also very much emotional need. There's a very of, often a space of vulnerability where people choose you know, a pair of socks, suddenly they realize what has happened to them and they, they fall apart. So it's a very much a place of, of, of care. Uh, we have also supported a number of different communities which live up in the hills and that became isolated as landslides destroyed their only access out of the valleys. And as we speak, there are still people being isolated up in the valleys uh, uh, in the northern rivers, which is pretty staggering to think um, about five weeks after the main disaster, there are still people whose road is not repaired and they cannot drive out of the property. They can walk, but it's very risky. And when it rains, as it has been, it's a, it's a very dangerous endeavor. So we have provided them all, with all sorts of support. So first of all, welfare check, checking on each, each house individually, each uh, person individually. In the height of the crisis, where there were some very serious medical risk, we organized some private helicopter rescue um, to evacuate them. We've organized as dozens of flights um, where people would also receive food and other emergency items for them to be able to survives the first hours. Um, we continuously have provided them with all sorts of support, including radios, including stretchers, defibrillators, um, food again, multiple times. Um, so, yeah, sorry, go ahead. So you mentioned um, private helicopter rescue. Uh, of course, you yes. know, Byron, there are some well-heeled residents of Byron and well-connected people who might be mm-hmm. able to access the kind of help that not every community would be mm. able to. I'm guessing you know, having some wealthy residents does help in this case. Yes, but not only. I think f- f- really the helicopters was throughout the whole Northern Rivers. Like the helicopters were coming from the Gold Coast and, um, and you know, down to, to Korakai Casino, Grafton. So it, it's not just a Byron Bay. And of course, there's the, a, a legitimate stereotype here, but it's really far beyond this. And also, I think it's not necessarily a solution. You know, there was a response that was needed and people rose to the occasion, including helicopter pilots and and all of those who are involved in the coordination. But it's not something, you know, which should be necessarily 
implemented as the system now in place for future disasters. One of the things I noticed in covering um, the fires uh, on the south mm-hmm. coast, um, having been to, like yourself, been to a number of uh, crises in other parts of the world, was the very what felt like the very piecemeal response when people, you know, walked into town or were finally able to to come in to get some support. It was mm-hmm. it was minimal. Um, in the sense that certainly, for example, in the US after a hurricane, mm-hmm. it's not uh, unusual to find social services set up with 50 desks ready to help residents if they've lost their papers, if they need immediate shelter, if they, yep. you know, there's a kind of a join, joining up of government support and agencies and what's happening on the ground. Is that something that you is you think might be a space we could do more work in? Yes, so there's there's been some progress. So there there has been some spaces like this offered. So this that's the good news compared to prior um, disasters. So there have been places where uh, all sort of services would come together under the same roof, so that anyone affected can benefit from these different uh, supports, which is good. However, like. Um, this week, for instance, it's closed in Malamimbi. For whatever reason, you know, um, I understood that they don't necessarily have enough uh, HR and like uh, human resources to to open it. I don't know if that's the actual actual reason, but it's pretty staggering that the center would be closed, you know, in the week where the second floods hit us. And that's an example of the the the, the limitations in the system, um, and those who the the individuals who are you know making it uh, part of it are very well intentioned um however they have their own also you know mm. challenges you know yes. some of them have been flooded some of them are coming from different regions because they're not people locally to to provide the services so they don't necessarily are not across of the local realities so it's it's a progress but there's still definitely lots of work needed to improve the system what, what do you think about the suggestion from sir peter cosgrove who led the response to cyclone larry um, who has been saying look relying on the military in disasters like this is uh, unviable really and states Mm. need a paid highly trained civilian emergency response force modeled on the army reserve what are your thoughts on that i'm not sure it's the best idea actually i mean i see where he comes from and there's some good reason to think that could be a good idea but what i have experienced is that the reason why the community-led response has been so successful in many ways is because it's very fluid and I hear that I think it's really important describing what it is. It's not chaotic. It's not messy. It's actually very coordinated. It's very sophisticated. There are some clear leaderships. There are systems and processes that allows communication. There is there are structure, even if they're not necessarily structured that you know you'd find in the army or elsewhere. So there is a system that has emerged from 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 the floods really that make it effective. And my concern, if you bring in another agency is you're going to um, rigidify the system. So I think the way forward is far, rather than institutionalize the response, would be more to decentralize and support emerging networks. And coming back to what I was saying before, our project, the Community Carers and Responders, is doing exactly this. We're training and uh, equipping a number of individuals throughout the Northern Rivers to be ready and connected, which means that next time disaster strike, they would have received the knowledge, they know who is who, 
and they can rise in their local area. But then they have the fluidity and the support from others to make that happen according to the needs that they see. So I think a bottom-up approach, which is coordinated and, and supported, will be far more effective than top-down, structured, um, rigid, rigid approach. I need to share with you a text we've just had, um, Jean. Mm-hmm. This is from Marg, yeah, Marge in Ballarat. Marge, apologies if mm-hmm. you're Marg, but um, she writes from Bar- Ballarat, this Byron man, brilliant, he holds a hose and has the sort of planning <laughs> foresight we ought to have seen in our government but have not. So there you go. Big love from Ballarat today. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> and very listen, kind. Uh, we really appreciate uh, talking to you, Jean. We'd love to um, stay in touch and speak again, you know, a month from now or so and see how those communities are faring. With pleasure. And may I add here, I think it'd be essential for Australia as a nation to have that conversation. What is the role of the community? How do we interface with the community? How can we support it? Like we have to be realistic in the centre of climate crisis is going to happen again. And the community is the one that is there already. So how can it work with community? We're hearing in the news um, that the hotels uh, around Byron and beyond Mullum are, are full. Uh, with people who've mm-hmm. had been forced out of their houses, Lismore as well. Uh, but of course, it's mm-hmm. coming up to Easter time and a lot of uh, holidaymakers have made bookings in these hotels. So there's now an effort underway to relocate people again. How disruptive mm. is that, that that kind of constantly, I'm, I'm not in my house, now I'm in a shelter, now I have to move to another location? Look, it's not only just disruptive, it's deeply traumatic. Like for anyone in Don Rivers, whether you were affected directly by the floods or indirectly, it has been a massively traumatic event. And it will take a month, if not years, for people to really recover. The existential questions here is not just, okay, I need to clean my house and return to it. It's like, can I actually live here? Is it safe for my kids to grow here, grow up here? Um, and these questions need to be tackled as part of, again, a larger conversation about how do we live in this century of the climate crisis. Um, the housing security or insecurity was already prevalent before the floods. Um, I myself had to leave the Bayern Shire because I could not afford living there anymore with my family. Uh, we live in the Northern Rivers now. Just We moved just next to Lismore two days before the floods. Um, and, and it I can tell you countless stories, similar stories where, you know, a lot of people cannot live in the area anymore. Um, so the, the, the floods have just exacerbated that this crisis, but clearly it's, it's structural. It's not just, you know, a disaster that made things bad. It, it was already pretty bad before. Indeed. Jean, thanks so much and good luck in your work. Thank you. Thank you. That's Jean Renouf, the co-founder of Resilient Byron, a not-for-profit charity, as you heard there, coordinating the community-led flood crisis operations around Mullumbimby, surrounding areas. He's also a former aid worker, volunteer fiery and a lecturer in international relations in his spare time at Southern Cross University, just the type of superhero guest we'd like to give you on Saturday Extra.